0: have a seat all right hey do me a favor open up your Bibles turn on your Bibles but get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and we are in a series entitled hope that heals and uh, today I want to talk about how hope heals and helps us to be victorious while we're in the fight and um, when I talk about being victorious in the fight, um, I'm not talking about a fist fight. I'm not talking about an argument. I'm talking about the fact that you and I have a spiritual enemy. And you're in a fight, all right? And, and yet so many of us seem to, to live defeated lives because of the enemy. And the reality is because of Christ... Because that he has died and rose from the dead and he has been victorious over death. And because of the word of God and because of the spirit of God, you and I can live victoriously in this fight. And that's the hope that we have. And uh, I want to look at this today from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to look at how you and I can be victorious in this fight. And I have prayed for this message. I was actually, I was up at 3.30 this morning because I, I got up and I, I, I couldn't get back to sleep and I wrestled around. And I went back down, I went down in the basement and, and I just began to pray for you all. I pray that this message will pierce your heart and will open the eyes of your heart to this truth today. Because the enemy has so much victory over all, too many people who are believers in Christ. And we need to flip that table that we have more victory over him. And we can have that victory today. And so let's look at how you and I can be victorious over the enemy and have that hope. So here's the first thing. Write this down. In order to be victorious in the fight, you have to acknowledge that you are engaged in a real spiritual fight. In order to be victorious, you have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge that you are engaged in a real spiritual fight. So there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, and remember, we've gone through 1 Corinthians, and Paul's writing to a church in Corinth, this this ancient city called Corinth, and the church was having a lot of issues in it. And one of the issues that was, being, what was happening was there was division in the church. And there were people kind of raising up and causing problems in the church. And Paul is kind of addressing that here in, in chapter 10. And he writes and he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now, what's he saying there? Here's the problem. There were people in this church, and and it's really weird and ironic how um, what's happening in this church 2,000 years ago still takes place in churches today. You see, Paul was addressing people who were um, undermining his authority as an apostle. There were people who viewed Paul and were like, "Eh, I I just don't agree with Paul. So um, I'm not going to agree with his his leadership and and, and I'm going to undermine his authority. There were people in the church who thought they knew more than Paul and, and, and who thought they could lead better than Paul. And, and so you have a group of people who decided, you know what, um, we're going to do business on our terms. And what happened was you had these people start to cause trouble in the church. They, they began to talk about Paul. And that's why Paul says, hey, when I'm away from you, um, I'm bolder than when I am in front of you. And so Paul is trying to show that um, I'm not walking in the flesh as these people are accusing me of. And so he, there were people accusing Paul of being one way when he was away, being another way when he was with them. And so you had a group of people, like, all of a sudden talking to people in the church. And they were starting to cause division in the church. And they were leading people away from the teaching of Paul to their teaching. And Paul actually talks about these kind of people as false teachers, false prophets... False prophets, <laughs> false apostles, and he even calls them like wolves among sheep. And so Paul is addressing these kind of people, and he's, he's just trying to show people what the real issue is going on. And so if you look at verse 3, Paul says, though we walk in the flesh. Some of you may have a version like the NIV that says, though we walk in the world we are not waging war according to the flesh, or as the NIV says, if we're not waging war according to the world. And so what Paul is saying here now is he's addressing the real issue going on. He's like, here's the thing. Um, Even though we walk in the flesh, meaning we walk in the natural, we walk in the world, we live and breathe in this thing, don't we? He's like, that's not where the real fight's taking place. He's like, if you could strip away the natural... Strip, strip away what we can see, you will see what literally is going on. He's like, because um, even though we walk in this world, he goes, we don't wage war like the world or like the flesh. You see, he, he, he's going from the, our natural walk to a spiritual battle. That's what he's getting at here. He, he's trying to teach the church and try to show them Hey, do you want to know what the real issue is going on in the church? Let me tell you, it is not Bob and Joe. It's Satan and his army. You see, this is what Paul shows us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, for our struggle. Some of you may have a version. He says, though we wrestle not. That word struggle really means a fight. He says, for our fight. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul's like, listen, strip away the natural and you're going to see the real issue. And the real issue is you have a spiritual enemy and you are in a fight. And Paul is trying to get the church to acknowledge this and get them to understand that this thing is real. And there's an enemy, and this enemy wants nothing more than to wreak havoc in your life. He wants nothing more than to put you in a spiritual ditch. And we've to we've got to acknowledge this thing, okay? Now, when it comes to, when you start talking about Satan and demons and this idea of spiritual war, there's actually four mindsets that, that can take place. One mindset is this. You're out of your mind, man. That's a bunch of wacky stuff, Dan, angels and demons and devils. and You know what? I just don't believe in that stuff. You know what? I, I believe in what I can see. How many of you know there are some Christians who are in that camp? They just don't believe that there is any kind, anything called a devil, anything called demons, and, and that's just made-up stuff. That's one mindset we can have. The second mindset is um, everything that goes wrong in life is a demon. Okay, there are some people who just over-spiritualize this thing, that there is a demon behind everything, every bush, every corner, man, there is a demon there. You're driving to work and you get a flat tire, guess what? Demon popped your tire. Okay, so there are people, there are Christians who believe that everything bad in your life is because it's a demon. It, it's, it, that's an attack, okay? Well, those two are ditches, Okay. Those are both just not good. But then there's a third mindset, which I believe a lot of Christians are in. The third mindset that a lot of Christians have, and it's this. I believe in the devil. I believe in demons. I believe in spiritual warfare. But I just don't believe it's that big of a deal. We don't take it seriously. We think we can just shrug it off. You know, in July, July 21st, 1861, in the countryside of Manassas, Virginia, right at the beginning of the Civil War, the very first battle that really took place was the first battle of Bull Run, okay? So the South had come up, and now they are engaged with the North right outside of D.C. Now, here's the thing. The North, the people of the North, the political people of the North, were so confident that the North was going to defeat the South that quick, that this thing called the Civil War was going to be over in a matter of weeks, not a big deal. So here's what happened. This war, this first battle, the first battle of Bull Run actually um, inherited a nickname. Would anybody know what that nickname, let me see if we have any history buffs, anybody know what the nickname the picnic battle and here's why people from DC thought hey This is like Rome, man. We got gladiator games going on. So here's what they did. They packed their picnic baskets. They got their blankets and they went down to the battlefield, laid out their blankets, got out their sandwiches and their croutons and like, this is going to be awesome because they were so confident that their northern men were going to defeat the south that, hey, we're going to have a picnic and watch. Only to have the south Destroy the north, and it became one of the bloodiest conflicts in the Civil War. So after the north pummeled, or after the south pummeled the north, guess what they did? Went after the bystanders, and the people who thought it was a picnic scurried for their lives. You see, they found out real quick, this is not a picnic fight. This is a real war. And guess what? It's no different for you and me. You and I, I think there's too many Christians with the mindset that says, ah, this is a picnic war. It's not that big of a deal. No, it is. It is very real and very, like, in our face because the enemy has convinced us it's a picnic war. So, this leads us to the fourth mindset that we have to have. We can't have the mindset that says, oh, I believe in the devil. I believe in demons. I believe in spiritual war. But it's not a big deal. No, no, no. we got to believe in devil. we got to believe in demons. we got to believe in this war. And we got to know it's real. And I've got to acknowledge it. And I've got to engage in it. Because if you and I do not acknowledge it and do not really believe in it, guess what? That, the, the enemy has won already. It is a very real battle that is going on. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that this enemy that we have is all about figuring out how can I just wreck these people's lives. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus tells us, he, he describes Satan like a thief. And, and he says, the thief comes only to do three things. Steal kill and destroy that's it that's all he wants to do for you your family and the church steal kill and destroy it in the book of psalm chapter 83 it says that god's enemies consult together and lay crafty plans against god's people think about that for a moment you know, like Paul says in Ephesians six, he says there are authorities and powers and principalities and evil forces. So I, I sit and think about Satan with his generals and his colonels and his and they they consort together and they are crafting plans to come against you and me. First Peter chapter five verse eight says, "Be sober-minded," meaning be clear-minded, think properly. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. You see, sober-mindedness, he's like, man, think right about this. Have a clear understanding of the reality of this thing. That you have an adversary. And he's just not playing war games. He's laying tactics out. He's planning your demise as a believer. You see, the enemy wants to figure out any way possible to be able to come into your life and wreck it. He wants to wreck you spiritually. If he can, he'll wreck your marriage. He wants to do anything he can to just bring havoc into your life. He will figure out any weakness in your life and exploit it. Anybody um, go through any hardship, suffering this year? Do you know what the enemy loves to do? He loves to find your hardship, your suffering, your pain, and he will use that against you. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you had cancer He doesn't care if somebody died in your family. He doesn't care if you lost your job. He doesn't care if your child isn't living for Christ. He will figure out what is going on in your life and say, how can I use this to get them to walk away from God? The enemy truly has only one mission, one goal, one purpose, and it's this, to defeat you Spiritually, that's it. And so he will figure out how can I keep them spiritually weak? How can I keep them spiritually complacent? How can I keep them spiritually ineffective? How can I keep them spiritually idle? and I told Paula this morning. Like I said, I was up at three thirty. I think I went back to bed like at five thirty or something like that, and laid there until five fifty until the alarm goes off, and then I started nudging her and it's like. Come on, get out of bed. I started talking to her about the message and what was going on with me over the past couple hours. And I said, you know, I go, I go, isn't that just like the enemy just to keep people idle? I go, think about a car. If you, you know, you, you, you start your car outside the garage and you just turn it on and, and you sit there and it's just idling. Four hours later, you're still sitting in the car idling. Eight hours later, in the car idling. Through the night, in the car, idling. Let me ask you, is the car running? It's running. But are you going anywhere? Nope. You're stuck. You're idling right there. See, the the enemy doesn't care that you're a believer. Well, he does. But once you become a believer, he's just going to figure out how can I keep them idle? How can I keep them from making any effect for the kingdom of God? How can I put them in a ditch? You see, the battle is real, gang. It is very real. And you and I need to acknowledge the fight. And we have to engage in it. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing about being victorious in the fight. Understand the enemy operates in the spiritual to disrupt the natural you got to understand that the enemy operates in the spiritual to disrupt the natural. So again, Paul writes there in verse 3, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. In verse 4 he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You notice Paul continues in the vein of contrasting um, the spirit and the flesh. he he, he's talking about weapons that we can use he's talking about weapons that can destroy strongholds all right and so he's he's again saying man we we don't wage war like the like like the world or like the flesh we we don't fight like the world or like the flesh we don't use weapons like the world or like the flesh okay he's like it's Everything is different in this thing. We have a spiritual enemy, and we have to use spiritual weapons. And the reason why we have to use spiritual weapons is because the enemy is going to build strongholds. And we're stronghold, and I'm going to get into the, the, the weapon part in my last point. Right now, I want to talk about the stronghold point. <laughs> a stronghold simply means a fortified or a fortress. Okay. So think about, a, remember back in the, the old days, like in the 1200s, they would build, like, forts and castles, and they'd have huge walls around them, fortified, okay? So that way, um, you, you, like, like, you've got to fight through this thing if you're going to get to us. Well, that's what the enemy does. He builds up strongholds in our lives, a fortified fortress in your life, all right? But how does he do that? How does the enemy Build up these strongholds in your life and in my life. Well, in Ephesians chapter six, verse eleven, Paul talks about these things called schemes, schemes of the devil, tactics. All right, remember Psalm eighty-three says crafty plans. So what the enemy does is he devises tactics, and he uses tactics or schemes against us to to cause us to live antichrist. To live anti, you know, anti God, anti Christ, anti everything that is spiritual, and so he 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 uses these tactics to build up strongholds in your life and in mine. But what are these tactics? I want to show you seven tactics that the enemy uses against you and I. Here's the first one: spiritual blindness. Now, I, I on the screen, I'm going to just have a uh, have the verse. I would encourage you to look them up and read them, okay? I'm just going to tell you, just paraphrase what it means, what it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us that the enemy blinds the eyes of unbelievers to ever coming to, forever acknowledging the truth of the gospel, all right? So if you're here today or you're watching me online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's where the enemy wants to keep you. He never wants you to come to know Christ as Savior, He he never wants you to come to the truth of the knowledge of the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus is this. You are a sinner. Christ died for sinners. And by faith in him, I can be saved. The enemy doesn't want you to know that. The enemy wants to keep you spiritually blind, spiritually dead before God. Because if he can keep you spiritually blind from the truth of the gospel, if he can keep you spiritually dead, he will keep you forever separated from God. Okay? So, that's why we we keep preaching the gospel. That's why we keep telling people the truth about Jesus Christ. Because we want to see people come to that that knowledge and, and come to that place where they accept Christ. So, if the enemy can keep you spiritually blind, he's winning. But... For many of us in this room, those of listening online, you have come to the place where you know Christ is your Savior, right? So you've crossed that threshold. You're no longer spiritually blind, you've been spiritually awakened. The eyes of your heart have been opened up to the truth of the gospel, and you know what Jesus did for you. Okay? So now the enemy, the, the, the enemy's going, okay, shoot. I couldn't keep them blind, but I can keep them distracted. I can keep them paralyzed. I can keep him in a ditch. And that's what he begins to do. And so he'll start using these kind of tactics. Like here's the next tactic. Um, Distortion. All right? Distortion. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, God tells Adam and Eve, he's like, hey, there's one tree that you can't eat of. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. So leave it alone. Well, that's when it says that the serpent, which is Satan in disguise, comes up to Eve and says, Ah, come on, did God really say that? He's just worried that, you know, you're going to become like him. It's okay. Go ahead and eat the fruit. And that's what she does. You see, he distorted what God said. He didn't completely come out and say, oh, God, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't, no, 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 no. That, he distorts. Did God really say you can't eat of that? He distorts truth. See, this is what he did with Jesus. When Jesus was being tempted by him, he takes the word of God. Remember, he, Satan took, took Jesus up to, a, up to the temple, the top of it. And he says, hey, throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. He takes the word of God, that's true, but he twists it. He distorted it, because that's when Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Satan will take the word of God. He knows this thing, and he will distort it for you. For example, the Bible makes it very clear that God is a forgiving God, and he is a God of grace and mercy. We all agree with that, right? But here's where the distortion comes in. And the enemy will whisper this in, in your ear. You know, God will forgive you. God's grace covers all your sin. It doesn't matter then how you live. Just, just do it. Live how you want. God will forgive you. And we bite on that. Well, that's true. God will forgive me. And so we just live and act how we want. Because the enemy wants to get you to Sin. And he'll tell you, you know, God really wants to, he wants you happy and blessed, right? Man, that marriage you're in, are you really happy in it? Why don't you have the affair with that, that person at work? Get the divorce, because you'll be really happy then. You see, he distorts truth. He takes God's word and he twists it, he makes it sound right. That sounds good. It sounds right. So pick bite and we sin. And that's what the enemy does. He distorts truth. Here's the third thing. The third tactic, lies. In John 8:44, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. It's like that's all he knows. He, anything he says it's a lie. All right. He's not just a liar. He's the father of lies. All right, And so um, anytime he wants to really trip you up, guess what he's going to tell you? A lie. A lie. All right? Well, I can't, I've tried the distortion of truth. They know the Bible pretty well. But I'll lie to them. I'll just lie to them. Like, you know... God can't forgive you. You do it too many times. You've messed up too much. You're too sinful. Everybody else, you know, when you're in church, you know you're the only sinner, right? Everybody else has their act together. And you sit there and you hear a message and you think, I'm the only one that's a mess in here. And he will try to convince you that God can't forgive you. He can't forgive that sin again. And so what he does, he begins to lie. And guess what we do? Believe the lie. He'll lie to you and convince you, hey, um, you you know that um, you're in this pain and in this hurt. You're in this situation. You're in this mess because God doesn't love you. And you know, because God doesn't love you, he can't be trusted. And you know, because you can't trust him, he's not faithful to you. So, guess what? He's not gonna take care of you, he's not gonna provide for you. He's not, he's checked out. So, you better do it in your own effort. You better take care of yourself. You better just walk away. And guess what we do? We work in our own effort, we start doing things the way we want. And the enemy wins. So he uses spiritual blindness and distortion and lies. Here's the fourth one. Deception. Uh, He's a master illusionist. You know, in the book of Revelation. Chapter 12, verse 9. It tells us that Satan is the deceiver of the entire world. He's good at this one. So if he can't distort the truth to get you to fall and mess up, if he can't really lie to you and get you to mess up, maybe I can deceive them. I'm going to tell them, you know what? The world is good and everything in it. He wants to convince us that the world is so much better than God and his kingdom. He wants us to get our eyes focused on the world, to love the world, to live for the now. Because he knows, if I can get them to love the world, guess who they're not loving? God. If I can get them to live for the world, they're not living for Christ. If I can get them to buy into live for the here and now, they're not focused on eternity. You see, so he's going to deceive us and get us to try to believe that, wow, the world does look really nice. And, and I want more of the stuff. And I want to buy into it. I want, I, want to, I want to be involved in it. And he deceives us. And it's so easy by deception to just fall away. You know, I, I sit and wonder, you know, over this past year, a lot of churches have stepped up their online viewing um, capabilities. We are one of those churches and each week we have a number of people watching online. And I'm so grateful that we have, we, we have the capability for people to watch online. But I wonder if the deception has stepped in. You know, you don't have to go to church to worship God. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know what? Isn't it so much easier and convenient just to stay home? And how many people are buying into that deception thinking, well, I can go to other places, but you know what? Um, I'll just watch from home because it's easier. It's more convenient. You know what? There is power in community. There is encouragement in community. Because listen, I can isolate. I can watch at home. And, 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 and I can hear the message at home. But guess what is happening? Man, I am disconnected. I, I, I'm not around anybody. I'm not, I'm not being encouraged by other believers. Man, there's power in community. There is encouragement when we come in here. Man, I'm hoping that when you guys come in here, you feel like, man, I'm glad I'm here. I haven't seen someone so, so long, and it's so good to see you. Granted, we're not to the, the, the full capacity of, hey, give me some hug. Come here, bro. Let's, let's, let's hug. All right? We're not quite there yet. We're going to get there. We're going to get back to where we need to be. But for right now, I'm telling you, it, it encourages my heart every week when I see you all here. It blesses me. And I know it blesses the elders. And I hope it blesses each and one, you know, as you see each other, it mutually edifies you. And we're building each other up. So, I, again, I want to encourage people. Don't let the deception of staying home because it's easy to watch on a camera. Man, get here. Get here live and in person and encourage and build each other up. Here's the fifth one that he loves to use. uh, Temptation. Anybody other than me uh, experience this one? Everybody experiences temptation. Just like Jesus was tempted by by the devil... Um, guess what? He doesn't stop there. He will tempt you and I. And in fact, in Matthew 4, it says that when he was when the, the Satan was done tempting Jesus, he says, says that he left him for another opportune time. How many of you know, Satan will tempt you and he will keep tempting you. And, te- and, and when he tempts you with one thing and you feel like you got victory over it, he's going to figure out another way to tempt you and he will wait for an opportune time to do it. And he will just... Like, like like putting the cheese on the mousetrap, just waiting for you to take it, and he's got you. He does it to each and every one of us. And the techniques and the, 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 the devices he used to tempt us with are all different. Some of us he tempts with money, greed, and coveting. Some of us he, he tempts us with anger and unforgiveness. Some of us he tempts us with lust. Some of us, he, he, he tempts us with pride. You see, so many things. And here's the thing. He's not going to bother you with something he knows he can't get to you at. He's going to manipulate your weakness. And that's what he's going after. And he will unleash everything he can to tempt that weakness. Why? Because when, you tem- when he can tempt you and he succeeds at tempting you and you fall, guess what you fall into? Sin. Sin. And he knows when he can get you to live in sin, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. He knows if he can get you to live in sin, you squelch the Spirit of God in you. He knows if he can get you living in sin, you're living apart from Christ. He knows if he can get you living in sin, that becomes like the idol in your life. And, and, and God gets taken out of the picture. He will use temptation to get you to fall. Here's the sixth tactic he uses accusations. Revelation chapter 12 says that the, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now this one is very good because he will spend all of his time and effort to tempt you. He'll tempt you to get you to fall and, and because you see he uses temptation as that lure and, and he, he, he makes it sound like um, you deserve this. You deserve to be angry, you deserve not to forgive, you deserve the lust, you deserve to be greedy. because man, you know you, so go after it. So he tempts you until you fall into it, and then here comes the accusations: You are worthless. You call yourself a Christian. You can't even overcome a little temptation. And you expect God to love you. You expect God to forgive you. And here, when, when, when the accusations come, guess what he's piling on top of that? Guilt and shame. He will lambaste you with those things. Because he wants you feeling so unworthy. He will call you every name in the book. And he will accuse you of being the worst believer on the planet earth. No one's as bad as you. And we buy into it. And then lastly, the last tactic he uses is this, is oppression. Oppression. Acts chapter 10, it says that Jesus went around um, delivering people who were oppressed by the devil. Oppression. The word oppressed or oppression actually literally means to choke or to overwhelm. It's it's like this: if you're feeling oppressed by the enemy, you have an overwhelming sense of something. Like you're overwhelmed with fear, you're overwhelmed with anxiety, you're overwhelmed with doubt, you're overwhelmed with like like oh my god, you just you, you just feel like life is is like something so wrong. Sometimes, even if you have suicidal thoughts, it can be oppression because the enemy is trying to. To overwhelm you with something that is beyond your, 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 your control. I want to give you a personal ex- an example of what happened to Paul and I. About a month ago, I preached my second to last message through the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God proclaims and he, 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 he uh, says who he is to Moses. And if you remember this message, it's when Moses goes back up with the second set of tablets. And God proclaims who he is to Moses. He says, I'm a God who is gracious and merciful. I am a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I am a God who is faithful forgiving the iniquity and the transgressions and sin of my people and I preached that message with everything in me because I wanted us to understand that's who God proclaims himself to you and me this is who God is and I wanted you to grasp how much God loves you and he'll forgive you of anything and he's gracious and he's merciful and man I just boom 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 delivered that with everything in me Monday night Paul and I go to bed 10.30, and I could not fall asleep for nothing. I mean, I was just just wrestling back and forth about 12 or 12.30. All of a sudden, I just started to feel like I couldn't breathe, like like I was having panic attack. I I never have a panic attack. And and I felt like I I couldn't catch my breath for nothing. I I mean, I would close my eyes, and I'd go... (gasps) And I'd wake up, and I, I not wake up, but I would sit up and I'd try to catch my breath. And, and as I'd lay back down, all of a sudden i started start having these thoughts. You're going to hell. You're not saved. And, and I just, I could not combat those thoughts. I mean, I kept trying to go back to my message and trying to tell myself, this is who God, and I couldn't. And I kept feeling like I was just like suffocating and I couldn't get past it. Finally, at about 1230, maybe one o'clock, I finally got out of bed. I went to the couch and I thought maybe that would help. And I laid down on the couch and just the same thing. Could not catch my breath. I felt like I was suffocating and I kept having these thoughts. And and, and then finally about 2 or 2:30, I went back to bed and, and I dozed off till about three. And then Paula got up. And and I and then and she didn't come back to bed. And when she doesn't come back to bed, that just throws me off completely. And so from about 3:30 till 5 five thirty, I was wrestling around in the bed and I just couldn't get back to sleep and then finally the alarm goes off I go out to the couch at six and I and she's awake I said hey hun I go it's time to get up and I sat down in the chair I'm like holy cow I go I couldn't sleep for nothing last night and I go I kept I go I kept wrestling and I go I, I felt like I was having a panic attack and I couldn't catch my breath. And I go, I kept having these thoughts of like I was unsaved and I'm going to hell. And I go, it was just, it was a wrestling all night. And she sat up and she's like, I had the exact same thing. She goes, I kept feeling like I was having a panic attack. I couldn't breathe and I couldn't catch my breath. But her thing wasn't going to hell. Her thing was she wasn't coming back to this church. She was done. She's like, I'm I'm done. Let's just lock the doors. I'm done. I don't want to be a part of that thing anymore. And that's what she was wrestling with all night. That's oppression. And both of us, that has never happened to us as a married couple in 28 years. But yet, that night, a month ago, both of us, through the entire night after I preached that message, we were attacked. And thankfully, my elders, I explained that to them, and they're like, dude, if that ever happens again, I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you best be calling us or sending us a text saying, I need your guys' prayers. That's oppression. Maybe you are experiencing that, and I'm telling you, the enemy just will waylay you with that. And he uses these things to overwhelm you and to get you to believe that God is not good He wants to do anything he can to disrupt us. So, if you want to be victorious in the fight, acknowledge and engage that the the fight is real. Understand the enemy operates in the spiritual and disrupt the natural. And then here's the third thing and final thing. Engage the fight with the right weapons and the right battlefield. You've got to engage this fight with the right weapons on the right battlefield. So again... Paul writes, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, again, Paul is saying... We don't fight in the flesh. We fight in the spirit. We, our, our real enemy is in the spirit. Our weapons, they are not of the flesh. They are of the spirit. And he, now he explains, here's where your battlefield is. The mind. Your thought life. Okay? That's the battlefield right here. Because if you look at all of these tactics, if you look at all of these tactics, spiritual blindness is about the truth. Well, where do you understand truth at? In your mind. You you, you know truth. You you come to know it, all right? Distortion. Again, the word of God. Distorting the truth of it. It, It's in your mind. Lies, deception, temptation, accusations, oppression. All of these things take place where? In your mind. In your thoughts. Okay? And so Paul's trying to help us to understand that the battlefield is in here. Okay, And so we need to understand that, okay, if the, if, if the battlefield is in my mind, in my thoughts, if this is all spiritual and it's not, it's not in the flesh, how do I fight this thing? With the right weapons. And the weapons are God's word and prayer. But I also believe there's one more, worship. Now here's the thing, in Ephesians chapter 6... Paul is talking about spiritual warfare, and he lists the armor of God. And he, he, he starts to list it. He says, hey, you've got a helmet of salvation. You've got a breastplate of righteousness. You've got a belt of truth. You've got shoes of the gospel of peace. You've got a shield of faith. Now, all of those things, are they defensive or offensive? Defensive. They're to protect you. But then he says, but then you've got a sword, which is the word of God, and you pray in the Spirit at all times. Now, he doesn't list worship there. And I told Paul, I go, I find that interesting that worship's not included. Because when you go back to Joshua, when they came to Jericho, that says they blew the trumpets and the people shouted with everything in them and the walls went, fell flat. In Second Chronicles chapter 20 when King Jehoshaphat is told that there's a, an army, they call it a horde, a great horde is t- coming against him. It says that he didn't know what to do and that he got, gathered all the people and they prayed. And he's like, okay, God, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God says, the battle's not yours, Jehoshaphat, it's mine. Here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow you're going to go out against this army, but I want you to send the worshipers first. And when they begin to worship, it says that God set an ambush against the enemy. So you see, you and I, in order to truly be victorious, guess what you've got to do? You've got to use the right weapon. You've got to use the word of God. You've got to pray, and you've got to worship. Because here's how, here's why the word of God is so essential for you and I, all right? And here's how it it works in our mind. So let's take the armor of God. So you and I, in order to put the armor of God on, we don't have physical armor. So how do we put it on? Because the word of God actually becomes those things. So when you start ingesting the word of God, when you're reading it, when you're meditating on it, when you're hearing it, it's going into your mind and through your ears, into your mind, settles into your heart. So as you take in the word of God, guess what it does? It becomes a helmet of salvation. It protects my mind because when I know the word of God, I know who I am in Christ. All right? The enemy wants to convince you you don't know who you are in Christ. So when I read the word of God, it becomes a helmet because I know who I am in Christ. It becomes a belt of truth because Jesus says, your word is truth. So as I read the word of God, I can take the word of truth and guess what it does? It dispels the lie. It dispels the deception. When, the world, when, when Satan is trying to tell us, hey, look at the world, and you know, it's right. Everything that we're hearing in the world today, the, the, the enemy's trying to convince us, that's right. So guess how I dispel that untruth? I got to have truth. And the truth is God's word. And when I read the word, it's like wrapping that belt around me. And I can dispel the lies. I can dispel the dis- distortions. I can dispel all that stuff. The breastplate of righteousness. I put that on as I ingest the Word of God. The Word of God is going to teach me how to walk holy, how to walk in righteousness. And so when I, when I again, taking the Word of God in, that breastplate is coming on. The shoes that I put on, when I put on taking the Word of God, guess what I'm reading? About the gospel. I'm reading about Christ. And so all of a sudden, like, like Romans chapter 1 says that, that the, the, the gospel is the power of God onto salvation. And so when I'm taking in the word of God, I'm putting shoes on, the gospel, and I'm walking the gospel out. When I'm taking the word of God in, it's putting up my faith, my shield because as Romans chapter 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so as I hear the word of God as I read the word of God as I meditate on the word of God the word of God is getting in my mind guess what's happening my faith is starting to grow my faith in what who God is so when the enemy is trying to lie to you about the character of God and you're reading the word of God you know the truth of God and you can tell yourself that's a lie I can trust who God is and I can believe in God and I know who he is. I know he's good. I know he's loving. I know he's kind. He's forgiving. I know what the Bible says and as I'm ingesting the word of God, man, my armor's going on and guess what? As I take in the word of God, it leads me to worship as a, as, a, as, as a form of a weapon. Because when we come here and you're worshiping, hey, we're not just, I, Bill prayed something awesome this morning as we, we met as elders. He talked about praying like old or singing old hymns and new hymns and just songs because when we're singing, guess what we're singing? About Christ and about God, we're singing Scripture, and that's coming in, and we're putting it out there. All right. So when we worship, we want to believe that when we worship, guess what the enemy's doing? Coming down. And then, lastly, is prayer. People are like ah, I don't like to pray. It's boring. Prayer again just isn't about you and I asking for things. Prayer is. Praying the word of God out loud sometimes. Praying, hey, when I when I'm, feel like the enemy's lying to me. You know, you're worthless, you're no good. That's where I got to, when I know the word of God, I'm able to say, I'm a child of God. I begin to pray, Father, thank you that I'm your child. Thank you that I'm a co-heir with Christ. I thank you, God, that everything that I've done has been cleansed and forgiven through the power of Christ and the blood of Christ. Man, you start praying that out loud. Guess what that's doing? It's disarming the enemy and building your faith. So the word of God, the worship of God, and praying to God are your weapons. But how many Christians aren't using them? How many Christians, imagine a soldier over in Afghanistan waking up one one morning and going out in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. Everybody like, dude, where's your helmet? Where's your gear? Where's your, nah, I'm going to fight today without it. They'd be like, dude, you're going to last for all of about 30 seconds. No, a, a soldier's going out with his boots on, his gear on, his vest on, his helmet on, weapon in hand, ready to go to fight. You and I have got to do that. You've got to be ready to fight. And I'm telling you, you're going to walk out of here today. And something I prayed as I was over in the office this morning, I was going over my message and I stopped. And I said, God, because just like a gang fight, when one gang hits another gang, what does that other gang do? Retaliates. Guess what I've done today? I've hit the enemy. Guess what the enemy is going to do? He's going to retaliate. So um, be ready. And I prayed for you. I prayed for Paul and I. I prayed for my family. Because I don't want any ground that the enemy is going to be able to retaliate in. And so you need to understand that this war is very real. And that's why I want to recruit a special forces. How many of you know who the Navy SEALs are? You know? boys are bad all right so i want to recruit a special forces prayer seal team and what i mean is this i want people who will every week be praying for what takes place in here this team will not be praying for your aunt's surgery on her toe this team will not be praying for your job this team will be specifically to pray spiritual warfare prayers. That's it. So if you would like to do that, if you would be like, Jim, I will do that, send me a text. Here's my phone number if you don't know it, 309-221-4417. If you're listening online, this goes to you too. Send me a text. Let me know who you are because sometimes I may not have your phone number in my phone. So don't be like, hey, I'll pray for you. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. So send me a text or send me an email. jshannonharvest at gmail.com and say, Jim, put me on that list. And I'll I'll, I'll send out a kind of a, a, hey, this is what we're going to be generally praying every week. And then if there's something more specific, I'll let you know. Now, here's the thing. I'm not asking for the entire church to do this because here's why. Just like the Navy, my daughter is in the Navy, but she's not a SEAL. Never be a SEAL. She's good at her job, but they're not calling her up going, Hey, Breck, we need you uh, jumping out of a plane at 25,000 feet and uh, going in. It's not happening. But SEAL Team 6 is being called. And not everybody gets to go through SEAL training. And not everybody makes it through SEAL training. Navy SEALs are a small elite group who are serious about their job. I want to recruit people who are serious about spiritual war prayers. If that's not you, don't stress. I'm not going to sit there and go, well, how come you're not on my SEAL team? I want you to be part of the church praying, but I I want people saying, man, I'm going to be praying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning for what has to take place in here because the enemy's real. So if you want that, please let me know, and I'll get you signed up. Now let me close with this. You all still good? I know I've been long-winded. I hope you're okay. I just know this is important. This is what I do know, and as I've prepared this message this week, and as I prayed and thought about it and everything, our church has been under attack, plain and simple. We have had division in this church, which caused people to leave this church over the whole stupid corona stuff. We have seen our children's ministry get taken out. We, I, I look at Dusty and Christy, and their entire ministry has been covid I mean, not nothing normal. Um, The number of people who still just aren't coming. I don't remember when it was. This has been a very taxing year for Paul and I, and and that's not to say not for you guys. But just, I I, I felt like Paul when he's like, man, I've been beaten, I've been this, I've been this, and all that. I've got the, 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 the weight of the church on my shoulders. And um, through all this stuff, it, it, it it, it just piled on, Paula and I. Paula got to a point where she looked at me and said, you're done. I don't want you to be a pastor anymore. I can't take this anymore. She was rocked to her core. Our elders have had health issues. And COVID issues and family issues. And our elders have been incapacitated because of what's been going on in their lives. Gang, I'm telling you, the enemy is not backing down. And and here's why. Because we are taking this thing right here and we are preaching it. We're not backing down from it. We are taking vertical worship and getting people into the presence of God. We're not backing down from this stuff. And the enemy does not want this church to succeed. And somebody just texted me to be on prayer team. (laughs) See, I know I'm going long because it's 55 minutes and I'm about to shut up. We need to pray. But here's what I do know. Even though the, I feel the enemy has been attacking us, here's what the Bible very, makes it very clear. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. The enemy will not win. He may win a fight. He's not winning the war. He may knock us down, but through the power of God and the Holy Spirit and the word of God, we're getting back up. And we're going to keep moving forward, gang. We're going to keep preaching the word of God. We're going to keep proclaiming the gospel. We're going to keep teaching the word of God. We're going to keep singing. We're going to keep connecting. We're going to keep doing and making disciples for the glory of God. And I'm telling you, the enemy's not going to back down. He's not going to back up. He's not slowing down. He's going to keep moving like a steamroller. But greater is he who is in us than he is that is in the world. And that's what we're banking on. And so I want to close... If you all would stand with me. I want to close with a word of prayer. I referenced this earlier in 2nd Corinthians or 2nd Chronicles chapter 20. When this horde, this enemy came against Judah and, and, and Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat was told about it. He freaked out because he didn't know what to do his his army total didn't even compare was close to this horde and he assembled all the people men women children and little ones right now we have that in this church we've got men women teenagers little ones and we're standing before the lord and it says that that Jehoshaphat began to pray and he was like, God, you told us this. You've told us this. You've told us this. And he said, and it says this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do. And here it is. But our eyes are on you. That's where we're going right now we got a horde coming against us. You personally probably have a horde coming against you, against your family. And so guess what we need to do? We may not know what to do. We may feel powerless and defenseless, but we have the word of God, the spirit of God, the power of God. And guess what? Just like Paul says, we have these things that tear down the strongholds. And so we're going to put our eyes vertical, and we're going to cry out to God. And so I am going to pray, and I'm actually going to pray specific scriptures through this prayer. Scriptures that at 3.30 in the morning, God was laying on my heart. Scriptures that I haven't thought of in a long time. And these came to my mind this morning. And so if you would, please bow your heads with me. Just as Jehoshaphat the king prayed for the people, I, your pastor, am going to pray for us. And we're going before the Lord. So Father, we come before you as your people, as your church. Lord God, we have had a horde come against us. Lord, the enemy has attacked us. And he is, Lord, he's bowled us over. But Father, we come to you because you're the king of glory. We come to you because you're the great I am. We come before you and our eyes are on you. We lift our eyes onto the hills and we know our help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, we come to you. As Psalm 83 says, O oh God, do not keep silent. Do not hold your peace or be still, O oh God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. And they say, come, let us wipe them out. But oh, my God, make them like whirling dust. Make them like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountain ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Father, you tell us in Isaiah 54 verse 17 that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. 1 John 4, 4 tells us that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus, you tell us in John 16, that we will have trouble and tribulation in this world, but take art, I have overcome the world. Father, in Romans chapter 8 verse 31, It says, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I love this, Father, what Paul says, for I am sure. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of our God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all of God's people say, Amen. I want to believe that God is going to rain down on us, folks. I want to believe that better days are coming. I want to believe that what we've gone through is in the past, and God is going to bring us to a better, you know, I love what the psalm says. You've brought us, and, and, and we've been trampled, but we're coming out as gold. Listen, you may be going through it as a family. You may be going through it as personally, and I'm telling you, the enemy cannot win. Get out your weapons. Get out the weapon of the word, the weapon of prayer, and the weapon of worship. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to raise our weapon of worship as we sing that God is the great I am. Amen? Let's worship.